Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor, taking your calls and your questions, talking about what is on your mind, answering questions. So give me a call. The number to dial is 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, and we can text together, and that text number is 720-336-0897. is the number, so give me a call. Lines are wide open, as they usually are in the beginning of this show. And uh, they fill up over time. So if you have ever tried to get in a uh, phone call in and it was busy or you are just trying to get into a to the show today, call right now. Phone lines are wide open. Again, the number to dial is 303-690-3000. My name is Ed Taylor. I'm the pastor at Calvary Church here in Aurora, Colorado. We're a suburb of Denver. And we've been here, we're entering into our 20th year of ministry. It's pretty amazing that that time has gone by so quickly, but it has. And we're grateful to be able to serve our community and to provide to you Grace FM, um, Bible studies on our app and our church, and just so much that we have been blessed to be a part of uh, in partnership with so many other churches around town. So it's good stuff. You know, yesterday, I think uh, Nick Cady was hosting the show yesterday. I uh, was away, uh, not too far, it was about an hour south, uh, because I had the privilege of teaching at Rocky Mountain Calvary last night in Colorado Springs. So shout out to everybody that was there last night or connected with us online. Or We were, um, I've been traveling with a message this year on the topic of forgiveness, I just taught it in our church as well, and I just felt like, wow, um, you know, we went through a series uh, not too long ago about being free from our past, and forgiveness was a part of it. How do you how do you break free from your past? You forgive, and so I shared that last night, and it was just a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in ministering to people that are hurt and that are going through painful circumstances and. You know, dealing with people is very hard, and forgiveness seems to be harder, but only because we're in the flesh. In the spirit, we forgive. In the flesh, we hold grudges. Um, Actually, the New Living Translation translates um, that with, um, actually uses the word grudge. Uh, Let me see if I can find it here. We're still waiting for some phone calls, so go ahead, give us a call. 303-690. Phone lines are wide open. So give me a call. Um, But let me see how Jesus actually uses the phrase, I think in the New Living Translation. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, it's Mark chapter 11, verse 25. He says, 
uh, it's quoted, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against, so your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Imagine that. There are people in the the congregation, people listening to Grace FM right now, that are literally holding a grudge. Um, Jesus says, forgive them. And then I talk in that message about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, because, you know, a lot of times there's confusion over forgiveness because many people believe that forgiveness equals reconciliation. But that's not true. Forgiveness is an act. It's an act of obedience. And literally, when you and I choose to forgive someone because of all that we've been forgiven, right? We choose. The word forgive means to release from a debt. And when we choose to forgive someone... We release them from the debt that is owed against us. And at this point, you know, people get really defensive and say, well, wait a minute, Ed, you don't understand what they did and how bad it is. But see, because of what they did and how bad it is, is why you're to forgive. You wouldn't forgive anything that wasn't painful, hurtful, or wrong. And so the the more you build the case of how wrong it was, the more forgiveness is needed. And when you do choose to forgive... It's a little confusing because you can choose to forgive this instant and the situation doesn't change. And you can can choose to forgive this instant and the situation gets actually worse. And you might think, well, then maybe I didn't forgive. Maybe I didn't forgive good enough. Maybe I didn't forgive thorough enough. And while that might be a possibility, it's a low possibility because reconciliation requires repentance from the other person. So that if you forgive them and they keep sinning against you, your only recourse is to continue to forgive. And when you continue to forgive, you kind of think, well, why do I need to keep forgiving? Because I've already forgiven them. But you're forgiving for new sins, right? Jesus even used the the idea with Peter 70 times 7. Multiple, multiple, multiple. And you're like, man, Ed, that's crazy. That's hard. I know. I I have a situation where it's just unbelievable. Uh, Multifaceted. And God has taught me and is teaching me how to forgive. And there isn't any repentance or reckon, there's, because there's no repentance, there's no relationship, which is kind of a bummer uh, because none of us really want to see broken relationships. Um, but at any rate, I've taught that message. It's on our website. Excuse me. It's on our app. So go to our app. Go to your app store and download. Uh, just go put in the word, put in the two words, Calvary Aurora, A-U-R-O-R-A, and it's that whole series, Being Free from Our Past, is there, including the Bible study I taught last night. And if you want a copy of the a, a pamphlet on learning how to forgive and what forgiveness and reconciliation means, email me directly, and I'll send you a link to download it. So you can email me directly at Pastor Ed, that's P-A-S-T-O-R-E-D, at Calvary Aurora. That's C-A-L-V-A-R-Y-A-U-R-O-R-A dot org, O-R-G. And just say, hey, I heard the radio. You, you said there's a pamphlet on forgiveness. Please send it to me. And I'll respond to that email with a link that you can download it and print it out and open it and be encouraged. I'm sorry that you're in a painful situation I'm sorry that they continue to sin against you, that it continues uh, it, it continues to be bad. 
It continues to be hurtful. And every day it happens, it's even worse. But the answer is forgiveness. And God blesses forgiveness. He does. I'm telling you, he does. He, you release. You release. You're, you release the person, but in reality, you're the one released. No room for bitterness in these last days. All right. Phone lines are full. Um, and before I get to the first phone line, Pastor Eric Cartier and the team at Rocky Mountain, thank you very much for your hospitality. Um, Eric, of course, I'll just publicly thank you for your friendship. Um, just the years that we've been able to grow together and to share dinner with you and your wife and your kiddos was just a blessing. And uh, to meet so many people at Rocky Mountain last night, uh, some familiar friends, some I meet for the first time, uh, thank you. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to serve and to, to be a part of the ministry in Colorado Springs. Really, really cool. All right, Aurora, Colorado is where we're going. Line one, Michael, welcome to the program. Hello, sir. How you doing? Good, bro. What's up? So I, I just have a question. I, you know, uh, I try not to make this long-winded, a little difficult. All right, but, make it short-winded. Um, <clears throat> if someone believes in Christ, like the Bible says, he who believes shall be saved, and so forth. Um, supposedly, they're born again. Okay. Well, let's say, let's say, let's say they, let's say they, they're in idolatry, or one of two, two broad. Let's say they're committing fornication, or they're okay. committing adultery. But yet, you know, they still go to church. They still believe in Christ. He's the sacrifice. He's the Messiah. You know, three days in the heart of the earth, rose again, resurrected, sits by the Father on the right hand, all that, everything. Um, so they're, they're saved. But yet they're in a willful, premeditated, abominable sin. Um, and, you know, I know you're not the judge. None of us are. You know, we're not God. But well, do you believe that a person who is, is uh, doing that will, be, will go to the Holy Kingdom? Or what is your belief on that? Well, what you're describing is kind of hard to pinpoint, right? Because, first of all, let's back up a little bit and say I'm grateful that God doesn't judge me for my final sin, right? Because we're not sinless. And let's say, rather, let's back up just a little bit and say, let's say I'm not practicing sin, but I committed a sin and then I died and I couldn't repent from it or, or something along those lines. I'm grateful that God judges me by the finished work of Jesus Christ and not by not mm -hmm. my last work, mm -hmm. number one. Number two, you know, as I'm thinking about this out loud, a person that's practicing sin mm -hmm. is, is suspect in my, in my estimation. I'm concerned for that person. Um, mm -hmm. One of the concerns I have is that they have chosen to live a life of rebellion against God and have justified it somehow in their minds, right? Because you're describing somebody that didn't stumble. You're describing somebody that didn't just fall. You're describing somebody that has pre... You, I think you even used the word, then you premeditatively chose to live in rank rebellion sin on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. And the Bible speaks to that person, right? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says... If you're, well, we'll go up to verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, but the works of the flesh are evident. 
adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, sorcery, envy, murders, drunk. He gives this whole list, and he yep. says, and I told you this now and in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the Bible seems to indicate that a practicing lifestyle is is to be avoided at all costs, and that it is a great concern. So I guess the big debate is, or a debatable point is, is can a born-again believer live in rank, rebellious, practicing sin? Um, and, you know, people vary on different things. Um, but for the person that you describe, I would strongly warn them, number one, and I would give them no sense of false assurance. So if I saw a guy practicing idolatry and they're just rank rebellion and they they come to me, oh, you know, Bezred, God forgives and I'm a believer. I'm like, bro, you're not acting like a believer, so you should repent and get right with God. I won't, I won't give them the answer. And you guys might be listening right now. It might apply to you. I wouldn't give the answer, oh, don't worry about it. You're a born-again believer. I hope you get over your sin. You're going to get to heaven anyway. You have the assurance of your salvation. No way. I would never do that. Well, that's good to hear, man, because I, you know, I'm, I'm deeply concerned, brother, because, uh, you know, I'm out here, and uh, I see what's going on, just like you do, and I see churchgoers delusional, and the preachers ain't helping them any, man. They're, they're sitting there. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know, you know, if they're, you know, scared or what's going on, but, uh, yeah, it's sad, man, you know. Uh, I, I love the people. And, yes, uh, and that's a good thing, situation. you know, I think, and you know, we, every time we gather, so I like I like how you use the phrase, it's an important phrase, church-going, and we as leaders and pastors and fellow believers need to realize that the church is filled, the building itself, the gathering, uh, e- even among the gathering, is filled with a variety of people, not just born-again believers, you know, there's yeah. believers, there's unbelievers, and there's everything in between. Um, in terms of people's walk, and they fit in one of those two categories, of course, but there, there's everything in between. And what I try to train our church and what I try to practice myself is simply this, because just because we don't know the heart and we can only see the behavior, if you say you're a believer, I'll treat you like a believer. If you say you're an unbeliever, I'll treat you like an unbeliever. If you say you're a believer and you act like an unbeliever, I'll treat you like a believer and call you to repentance. And if you're an unbeliever and you act like a believer, I'll call you to repent. Like the answer for all of our, the answer for everything you asked is repentance. And it's, yeah. a, it's the doctrine of repentance, which leads you to the doctrine of humility, brokenness, which leads you to the doctrine of holiness, um, which is under the encompassing truth of God's grace. It's never permission to sin. And... And so I never want, while I do believe in the assurance of the believer, I think it was J. Vernon McGee, but really it was my friend Gino Dracy over at Calvary South Denver that, that gave me this phrase. He says, I believe in the assurance of the believer and the, the non-assurance of the make-believer. Yeah, I think maybe belief needs to be, maybe belief should, has to, somebody will have to put a definition uh, maybe like a biblical definition of what belief really is, because I see a lot of believers, man. I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's what I used to do before I was born again. I, I don't know what you're, what you're. Uh, I don't, I don't know what you got going on, but uh, it ain't looking good. I, I think that's pretty perceptive on your part, you know, or or what the Bible would call discerning. And I do think it's worth 
challenging someone on what they say they believe, you know, because you hear the phrase, I believe in God. Well, well, well what God? Well, you yeah, know, you exactly. know, the man upstairs, the God of the Bible. Okay, so what part of the what part of God in the Bible? Like, where in the Bible does God is? And really, I love my t- one of the tactics that I use is to put it back on them, so that mm-hmm. they. Exp- I don't give them an explanation. I want them to give me their explanation, and we can meet in the Bible together. And you know, asking key questions is always important because. As you ask an open-ended question, it really forces a person to explain their belief. You know, so so for example, let's say it in a in a dumb way. And, I mean, not a dumb way, but a simple way, non-biblical. Uh, how do I know you believe in a chair? Right? So, how, how do I know? How do I know you believe in a chair? You sit in. What's the final thing? You can tell me you believe in a chair. You can tell me you're a chair maker. You can tell me you're an engineer. You can tell me, you know, all of the facets of what makes a chair and why a chair is important. But how do I know you believe in that chair? Mm-hmm. How, what, yep. what, what do you think? What do you think the answer to that is? How would I know? Uh, you'd, you'd have to go over there and sit down. That's right. Behavior, right? You hit it on the head. You, you put your full weight and trust in that chair. And, mm-hmm. and so there are behaviors, according to the Bible, that show that a person has put their full weight and trust in God. Yeah, I agree, man. Because I can tell you what, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, take too much of your time, but just one last thing, you know, I tell you what, I was a child of the devil. I mean, a a, a tenfold loyal child of the devil for 30-something years. And when God came and found me, I didn't even pray. I, I never even prayed or nothing. GD every day, MF, this, that, you know, the whole thing. And he just came and got me. But I tell you what, he changed my whole life. He didn't leave drugs. He didn't leave sleeping around. He didn't leave drunkenness. He didn't leave cussing. He didn't leave any of it. And he showed me, you walk holy. I saved you. If not, it's not going to be good for you. So people better wake up, man. Wake up. Thanks, Michael. 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. That was a powerful, powerful word from Michael. I appreciate him calling. Uh, let's move on to the next line, line three. Catherine in Westminster, Colorado. Catherine, Hello. welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you. Yeah, I was doing some reading this week for Holy Week, and I was okay. doing a, a Bible study on the Version app. Yes, and great. Part, part of it was um, John 11, verse uh-huh. 45 that we were reading, this is, you know, as uh, leading up to the crucifixion. Yes. And I was just kind of struck um, by some of the things that Caiaphas was saying. Uh, in, in every passion play I've seen, you know, Caiaphas is a bad guy. And, yes. But it sounded in the book as if he sort of understood what was happening, you know, and that Jesus had to die uh, to fulfill God's purposes. And I just wondered, right. you know, if that made sense to you or... I yeah, I think the key I think the key verse in that that kind of clarifies your question because your question uh Kevin typed it in for me did did Caiaphas know what he was doing? Mm-hmm. Did he understand? And I think the key verse and my answer to that is no. I don't think he knew the I don't think he was speaking with this f- uh full understanding of what he was saying. Okay. And fi- verse 51 seems to to tell us that. It says, now this he did not say on his own authority, 
But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also that the world would gather in one, the children of God that were scattered abroad. So that's really John's commentary after the fact, right? He wrote this after everything has done, and it was his spirit-inspired commentary on Caiaphas. Uh, and we see this happen quite a bit in our lives, where you, you've shared a scripture with someone, or you had an encouraging word, but you didn't understand the significance of what you were sharing. You didn't know how much it would speak to them. You didn't know how much it meant. I mean, let alone Caiaphas, he was saying something that we're still talking about today, but I don't think he knew the gravity of what he was saying. Okay. Yeah, I don't I, think he believed in Messiah. I think he was a pawn in the whole process. However, he was a crooked high priest, and God, you know, this is a great example how God can use crooked high priests. Right. Yeah, he can use use anyone, obviously. I was just yes. confused, because reading it, I thought, well, maybe he wasn't this, this bad guy, because most of my knowledge, you know, just comes from, you know, passion plays that I've seen, or, sure. or movies or something, and... And so I wanted to understand more, but um, that makes sense. That's a great question, though. I mean, that that I think the more that we read and pause asking these kind of questions, it's the it's the interpretive process. That's what you you may not have you know as you're sitting there doing a reading plan and slowing down and meditating and really uh, interacting with the text. You probably didn't realize that you were on the you were in the midst of the process of what's known as the interpretive process. You were actually reading the text and seeking to interpret it at the same time, which is phenomenal. Most people don't do that. And the best the best way to come up with the accurate interpretation is to ask the right questions. And this question was a really good one. Yes. Now, unfortunately, I don't have you on the phone every day, so <laughs> I can just ask questions when I, as I have them. <laughs> well, let me suggest a book for you uh, okay. that would help you, a very simple introductory book, That'll help you think through the text when you don't have someone to ask. Okay. It's called How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It by Skip Heitzig. Let me make sure it's study and not read. It's How to Study the Bible. And his last name is spelled H-E-I-T-Z-I-G. How to study. Let me just make sure I got the right title here. Yep, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It by Skip Heitzig. It's a very thin book, mm -hmm. but it's probably one of the best introductory basic tools on the inductive study method that you're ready for. You're ready for this next step to, to handle the text a little bit deeper. And you know what you'll find is um, as you learn how to handle the text, um, asking these, you know, making good observations and asking good questions, because um, you'll, you'll get better at it and it'll become easier for you. I hope so. I've, I've kind of made it my mission in, in middle age, <laughs> where I am now, um, that this is the most, of all my stacks of books and books I've read over my whole life, this is the most important one to try and read and understand. And yes. I'm realizing, of course, that'll, that takes a lifetime, but I need to get busy with that. So <laughs> that will Fantastic. help a lot. Yeah. It's never too late. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000. We've got time to take another call. you got an open line, so grab it while you can. We're going to go to Augie on line two. He's up in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Augie, welcome to the program. 
Well, thank you, sir. Um, I don't have a question. I just wanted to call and and says um, to say um, um, I thank God for you. You're a mighty man of God, and and I just uh, pray that uh, during this time, you, people would uh, just come to know the true uh, the true God yes. of the Bible. You know that God loves yes. us, and um, He's for us, and He loved us so much He sent His Son to die for our sins. And when uh, He rose Jesus from the dead, He didn't um, raise our sin, but cast as far as east as the west. And uh, so He did good God. And so anyway, didn't want to take long, but bless you. And uh, we appreciate you. Thank you very much, Augie. God bless you up there in Cheyenne. Cheyenne. Thank you, sir. And we shall talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We're coming up to the end of our first half. What a great first half. Uh, We've got some open lines. Grab them while you can. Uh, It's a great opportunity to ask you to support Grace FM. Go to gracefm.com. We have a new giving portal. It's so much easier. You can put a recurring gift in and, you know, give to the ongoing work of our radio station, all the day-to-day bills and things that we have. And and again, a reminder, because I know that some of you are listening on Truth FM and some of you are listening on Hope FM, uh, be sure to support your local radio station, your local radio outreach. Uh, but for the sake of you guys here in Colorado, Nebraska, Wyoming, anyone listening to us online, go to Grace FM, just like that, gracefm.com. Uh, we have a giving portal there, and it's a very simple website, but a very informative and uh, you can set up, put all your information in there, get a login, and then you can even give monthly, uh, varying amount. No amount is too small uh, because it's all going to be used for the glory of God and to pay our bills. And, you know, phone our phone bill alone is in the thousands of dollars every month. I know it's hard to believe, but just our phone bill, be- because of the technology to get from the studio to the tower, and it's a pretty involved deal. And so just our phone bill alone is pretty darn expensive. And um, anything you give not only will support Keeping Grace FM on the air, but it'll bless you. You'll be a part of it. You'll be our partner. And uh, I know that radio, Christian radio, Christian teaching radio like K-Wave in California where I grew up was so vital to me that I was sure to support them. And I also supported the radio ministries that blessed me individually. So just pray about it. Maybe do it today, gracefm.com. If you're listening to us on a different station, support your local Christian radio, local Christian radio. 303-690-3000 coming up here very, very soon on our on our, um, our show. It's our first half break. And uh, get a little stretch, get some water. Um, the number to dial, we have one open line, 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand three zero three six nine zero three thousand is the number. Taking your calls, taking your questions. We've got a full line of texts. You know, you can text me at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven, and um, we do use the text from time to time if the phone calls slow down. So please don't feel forgotten if you don't get an answer. Um, our text line is really a backup to our phone lines because this is a radio program. So we want all the live calls to come in. You guys on the East Coast, call us. From I'm going to be in New Jersey next month, a month and a half uh, in June. I'll be out there for Bridge Fest in New Jersey over at Ocean Grove. And then I'm teaching uh, the Sunday service at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge, New Jersey. And uh, just last week we were in New York 
uh, for a little pastor's gathering, time to pray, be encouraged with one another. Um, got to meet some really new, neat guys for the first time. Um, that's, to me, the, the privilege of ministry, to meet people, to serve people, to do life in ministry with people. And as we go to the break, you hear the music in a minute. Uh, during the break, would you just pray for a friend of mine uh, and uh, his wife as their son has run away again and they're just battling with um, that situation? And uh, just pray for him, lift him up before the throne, that the God would bring uh, resolution into this family. God uses his family in amazing ways, and it's just a battle, uh, a battle of love and patience. I got one more prayer request. Pray for my pa- a pastor friend of mine who's got a really hard meeting with someone that is very difficult. Pray for him. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome to the second half of today's show. This is Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor, pastor here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Taking your calls and your questions like I mentioned, uh, the first half, I was in Colorado Springs yesterday, so I think Pastor Nick was filling in for me, and thank you, Nick. I was down with uh, the Fellowship family at Rocky Mountain Calvary in Colorado Springs, a good friend, Eric Cartier, and his wife and kids, and just the whole team there, man. I've just have been a, been a part, uh, had a friendship with Rocky Mountain from pretty much the first month I moved here. Uh, when Pastor Brian was there, and then uh, Pastor Eric, and I've just always appreciated the ministry of Rocky Mountain Calvary. I've always appreciated the ministry of uh, of Calvary Worship Center and uh, uh, Calvary on the East Side. Those 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 ministries were there when I got here, and uh, Pastor Al, Pastor Eric, have been uh, really good uh, friends, uh, and just grateful for the connection of the Calvary family uh, here in Colorado. Um, uh, Pastor Jim, of course, um, at Eastside. You know, Jim was one of the first... When I moved here, uh, maybe you're a church planter, but uh, this might be relevant to you, but when I moved here, I didn't know anybody, uh, and ex- with the exception of an aunt that lives in up in um, Montbello. And, and so... I wrote a letter to all the Calvaries that existed back in 1999 and said, uh, I'm here, uh, we're in Aurora, if you need anything, I'd love to serve you, um, just want to meet you, and uh, Al Pittman called me back, um, uh, Gino connected with me, and Jim Etheridge, what a blessing this guy is, he came to my house and spent you know three or four hours with us um just introducing us to the state giving us kind of a history encouraging us and i just remembered that today just right now the second i didn't i wasn't thinking about it until just thinking about being in the spring so colorado springs has a very special part in my heart rocky mountain in particular uh, has a special part in my heart as i've been friends and been on the leadership team there for many 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 years 
and it it dates back to when Brian was there because I I was working at the time when I moved here and I had to go down to our Colorado Springs office for a meeting or something. I don't remember what it was. And so I had some extra time before I had to go back. So I drove over to Rocky Mountain Calvary when they still were in the, the building that used to have the bingo hall in it. And I walked in and had my uniform on, you know, and and I said, well, I'm, I'm new. I'm planting a church. Uh, I'd like to meet the pastor. I didn't even know the pastor. I uh, wouldn't even know him if I saw him kind of thing. And uh, the, the reception area, the gal was very nice to me. She said, well, just a minute. She walked back into the offices and then walked out with Brian Michaels. And uh, he spent a good 20, 30 minutes with me praying and giving me the lay of the land. And then, uh, you know, being friends with him through the years and then being friends with Eric as he took over and... Um, Great stuff. So I was there teaching on the topic of forgiveness, and we have a call that's related to that last night. So let me pick up. Uh, I'm going to jump to line one. Is Tony, uh, Tony from the Springs. Welcome to the program. Tony, are you still with us? Okay, that's a bummer because your call is relative to uh, the message last night. So let me just answer your question the way it came in. Uh, you've been offended by a family member, attitude repeatedly. You forgive them, but he still is staying. Uh, but you're staying away intentionally because you don't feel there's anything wrong and hasn't asked for forgiveness. What should he do? You know, there is room to remove yourself from someone who repeatedly sins against you. There's no biblical mandate to subject yourself to the repetitive sin of another person. Um, And and so you can keep your distance, but I would suggest your distance is close enough so that when there's real repentance, it won't take you much to come back. But there's no man... I know know some people go, Jesus said to turn the other cheek. You're right, he did. And how many cheeks do you have? You have two. The, The heart of Jesus' teaching was... Not that you become a doormat to someone else's sin, but rather that you learn to take it without retaliation, without revenge. So um, the distance, it would have been good to talk, Tony, about this. The distance is not a bad thing, and repetitively forgiving is a good thing. All right, let's go to line number three is Matt. Matt's calling from Denver. Welcome to the program. Hey, Matt, you're going to have to turn your radio down, my bro. Yeah, sorry about that, Pastor Ed. That's all right. We got a little delay, so it's kind of weird. It's different on your radio than in your phone. Yeah, yeah, I, I apologize. What can I do for you? Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to request a prayer. Um, okay. And I guess it's uh, somewhat of a unique one. Um, I heard on the way into work this morning while listening to this radio station an alarming statistic that that said um, 2% from this survey, 2% of all the people surveyed uh, believed that Easter was the most important uh, religious holiday. And um, I reflected on whether I was in that 2% or 98%, and I realized that, um, you know, I've always, um, I've always thought Easter was important, but I didn't realize how pivotal Jesus being risen is and um, how unbelievably impactful that is, as well as, like, I have multiple kids, and um, I think that gearing 
myself and my family towards how important Easter is is something I need to improve upon. And I'm just hoping that we can pray for everybody listening and everybody out there so that, so that um, we can really get a sense of how important that is. No, that's a great input. Uh, I think you're right. I, uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the pivotal um, part of the gospel. You know, with, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Just like without the cross, there is no gospel. Um, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the message of hope. Because in the resurrection, one of the reasons it makes it it's so significant is in the resurrection is the fulfillment of everything Jesus said and did. He proved it. It, 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 is, it, it is the proof that everything that Jesus said and did was accurate and 100%. I mean, it is the, he was, if he didn't rise again, you know, 1 Corinthians, so for a further study, if you want to look at, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and look at the arguments that Paul makes if there was no resurrection. It is huge. And the biggest thing that he says is that if there is no resurrection, then our faith is empty. And we're dead in our sins. <laughs> Imagine that. That it's huge. You're right. So I will definitely check uh, it out. Father, we, we do yeah. pray for the for our culture, for our church culture, for the those that just are living in the world and think Easter's about eggs and rabbits and things that really are are not as significant as the gospel and the good news of your resurrection. And I pray that we as pastors and leaders, we as believers in Jesus Christ would do well to share and explain as you open the door. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. It's great talking to you, Pastor Ed. Thank you. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000. I got a text message that says, uh, can you talk about foot washing? Is it necessary? No. Uh, I, I mean, is, can I talk about foot, feet washing? Yes. Is it necessary? No. Should it be done at church? Sure, it could be. Uh, feet washing is something that Jesus did, and we have the explanation of that. First of all, it was a cultural necessity that the servant, the lowest servant of the house did. And in the time of the meal that the disciples were sharing with Jesus, nobody washed their feet. So Jesus, as a sign of his servanthood, took a towel and washed and dried the disciples' feet, which was a menial task. And we aren't instructed to do this like communion. You know, for example, in communion, we're, we're instructed. It's, it's in the Gospels. It's mentioned again in the book of Acts, and then it's corrected and expanded upon in the epistles. So that becomes a normative, uh, that becomes normative for us to regularly do, as the Bible teaches. Baptism, the same thing, water baptism. In the Gospels, in the book of Acts, taught upon and corrected in the epistles. But foot washing isn't repeated in the book of Acts, and neither is it explained in the epistles. But it's also not, it's, number one, we're not told to do it, but number two, we're not told not to do it. And this is a, foot washing is a real popular practice in marriage groups or marriage retreats. I, I remember just after our son passed away, we, um, my, my wife and I got away to Georgia to a, uh, a small pastor and wife gathering that Pastor Sandy Adams puts on. Pastor Sandy is from Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain. 
and he gets away with five, six couples, married pastors and wives, and just pours into them, invests in them, and has some time away. And one of the things we did that evening, or one of the evenings, was wash our spouse's feet. And it's a very humbling thing to do. Uh, So there's nothing wrong with doing it, but there is something wrong with making it a part of salvation or making it necessary. It's not necessary, um, but it is very beneficial. And so I hope that helps. All right, let's move on to Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Dave, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Great. What can I do for you? Okay. Yeah, I got a quick question about uh, Bibles, okay? I okay. have, excuse me, I'm driving. So um, I have a New American Bible, and it contains okay. the books of uh, Tobit, Judith, Maccabees, Wisdom, a couple other ones, yes. I believe. And I have uh-huh. the New International Version, the Concordia Study Bible. It does not have those yes. books in it. I was just wondering why. Well, because the books are not, are not a part of the accepted canon of Scripture. They are added books. You know, the, book, the word Apocrypha literally means hidden. And these are books that were written between the time, uh, in your Bible, in your mind, think of it, in between the time of Malachi and Matthew, which basically was a few hundred years of silence. There was no inspiration of God in writing the Scriptures until John the Baptist comes on the scene. And in that time of silence... Many books were written, and they have not been accepted, generally accepted, as part of the canon of Scripture, the measurement of what the Scriptures are. Now, some parts of the Eastern Orthodox Church and some, you know, obviously Roman Catholicism accepts them, and specifically Roman Catholicism accepts them because they substantiate a few of the teachings in the Roman Catholic Church, like praying for the dead. Um, but right. they, they're not accepted because... They're, they don't follow the requirement for inspiration. And one of the biggest issues among these books uh, is that they have in them things that contradict other parts of the Scripture. And, you know, God would not contradict himself, uh, but it's, they're known as the Apocrypha, and the Protestant Church does not accept the Apocrypha at all. Um, they're okay to read. There's nothing wrong to read them. They just don't have the same weight and authority because they weren't inspired by God. Okay. So is it so, even worth reading them? Uh, you know, I remember reading them as a new believer, but um, over the years, I it, I just had developed the need. I just, if I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to read the parts that God gave me. Um, I don't think they would hurt. It wouldn't hurt. They'd just be reading, like reading another um, another book. Um, but they won't. Okay. They, they won't really. You know, they won't really add much to your spiritual life. Okay. All right. Yeah. I just wanted to clear. You know, clear it up a little bit because I was kind of like wondering why. But um, it's a pretty good answer. I accept it. Yeah. You know, you probably <laughs> have a Protestant Bible and a Catholic Bible. That's probably what you're holding, and or a Bible that's accepted by Roman Catholicism. And yeah, you know, one of the Catholic. greatest. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So. One of the biggest reasons why besides the contradiction point that they're not accepted, is that the Jewish people in their Hebrew text never accepted them, ever. they never been a part of the Jewish text. Okay. Okay, I think that clears it up then. All right, great question. Thanks for calling from Baltimore. I was, with, um, Hi, man. I was just with my friend from Fells Point um, last week. He pastors there. Um, 
he pastors, man, I can't remember the name of his church. Um, but anyway, blessings to Baltimore. 303-690-3000. What is the name of his church? Um, I'm going to have to figure it out. 303-690-3000 is the number. Uh, let's see who is next. Uh, it looks like Ashley on line two is calling from Denver. Ashley, welcome to the program. Hi, pastors. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. Um, I just had a question. Um, so I grew up with like Catholic in my family, um, like my whole like life pretty much. And so yes. one of my questions is like, um, I'm, I'm a Christian, like I would call myself Christian. I mean, I'm not the best Christian I'd want to be that I'm trying to be. Um, but okay. I have, like, I still have carry around my rosary and, um, I guess like, you know, to remind me, like, I, that God is always with me for one. Um, but, like, my, like, a couple of my uncles and my family that are no longer here um, were, like, they were Catholics, but they, I mean, they were, like, they always followed the faith, as you will, um, but okay. they, like, they were just good people, and I know that they are in heaven right now. So, like, my question is, is, is it bad to be, to have, like, like even though I'm not Christian, like, I still have my rosary, even though I don't necessarily believe that God is still on the cross, because He's not. Um, you know, He is alive and risen. <laughs> and yes. my other question is, is, like, do uh, Christians as the faith follow some of the same things? Because I know it's, like, it's kind of the same religion, if you will. Um, but I, I'm wondering, like, if they you know, do, like, the same practices as far as, like, you know, because, like, when I, when Lent started, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give up soda, or I'm going to give up something, you know, but then I had heard a couple weeks ago you guys talking, and they were like, well, no, you know, the reason they give it up is to kind of keep, you know, they they explained it on this, on your guys' channel, so I was like, oh, okay, uh -huh. but then I'm wondering, like, why, um, like, do the, do, like, do the Catholics, I mean, Christians, like, do we not eat meat, or do we follow some of those same practices, or not? Well, that's not so a great much? question. So let's let's talk about let's talk about carrying the rosary and the some of the cat things you learned in the Roman Catholic Church. You know, um, it, it is it is not necessary for you to pray the rosary or carry the rosary in order to be reminded of the presence of God. Um, and I'm glad that you had mentioned how. You stopped praying in the sense that Jesus is still on the cross because he's not. He died, he was taken down, and he was buried. And so what I hear you saying is that God is growing you up. You know, you're becoming more mature as you're learning more and more about what the Bible teaches. And that's what you want to learn. And you and I want to learn to follow the Bible's teachings, which actually contradict a lot of the things you learned in Roman Catholicism. And mm -hmm. when you learn something new... You want to give up the old. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it's kind of like a baby, right? And and it's hard. It's kind of humbling for us to be called babies. But as believers, when we're born again, we become a babe in Christ. We're like a baby. And you know, I think of all my kids when they got to the point when they all my kids got to the point where they no longer needed a pacifier, right? Uh -huh. And so when my kids turned sixteen, seventeen, and they were still sucking a pacifier, that would be a problem. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> because they've outgrown it. And I think that that's what happens with with someone in your position. As you're learning the Bible, you're outgrowing these things. And and so the church basically is, 
it, with the with the answer to you have Roman Catholicism and you have something called Protestantism. And so mm-hmm. mo- the teachings you hear on this station come from that stream of Protestantism. And that that's the idea of Christian churches that don't follow the Roman Catholic doctrine. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is Roman Catholic in its origin is Lent. Now, not it's not just the Catholics that, that practice Lent, but the the Catholics have made Lent, Lent more of a sac- sacrament than mm-hmm. the simple biblical teaching that Jesus gives for fasting. And so is there anything wrong with fasting? Absolutely not. Uh, and fasting is what Lent really does. The idea of fasting is that you give you give up food, you give up uh, something for the sake of denying the flesh, denying yourself, and filling yourself with God. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with taking time, even before Easter, um, saying, I'm going to make a commitment. Because, you know, Lent starts on Ash Wednesday and ends uh, Easter Sunday. And, uh, and you know, it started really in the 4th century. And during Lent, everybody gives stuff up, including meat for the Roman Catholics. But um, it it doesn't... You, you don't have to follow the church's, uh, the Roman Catholic's church's calendar in order to obey God. You can fast at mm-hmm. any time. And if you want to fast before Easter, that's great. You can um, it, You just make sure that when you do, you do it as unto the Lord. Um, you know, if you can do something for six weeks, that's fantastic. Um, but uh, generally, a lot of, some of Christian churches are bringing back the word Lent but I don't believe they're participating in it like like the Roman Catholic churches. They're just using the word because it's familiar to people. But the Bible word for Lent or the practice within Lent is fasting. And Jesus yep. teaches on that. And it's super important that we do that regularly, not just around Easter. Okay. 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 And so it's like, do, you know, like, um, we as Christian, like, where we don't eat meat on Good Friday or where, like, because I've never heard that in the Christian um and I was just kind of curious if, if they did or not. It was like, I know no, you can like eat. I have an uncle who does, where he doesn't eat pork or, you know, stuff like certain things like that. Cause it's like supposed to be like not clean, you know? And so I was just right. curious if that is like the same thing or. In the new covenant, the covenant that comes through Jesus Christ, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Okay. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for um, taking my question. I do appreciate it. And then um, Great I just had one more question as to um, okay. when your guys' services, I live near um, your guys' church, Calvary Aurora, so I was wondering what yes. um, if you, what services you guys have going on this weekend. or Okay. So we're going to meet tomorrow at noon for Good Friday, uh-huh. and it'll be a very simple service talking about the death of Jesus Christ. And then we'll be back Saturday night at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. And also Sunday morning at 645, 845, and 1045. And all five of those services will be the same. So you could pick any time. They'll be the same. And we'll we'll have some really vibrant, upbeat music. Um, I'll teach a very evangelistic message. Like it's going to be very much, as a matter of fact, the title or the topic of our message this weekend is about second chances. And how how the resurrection of God gives you second chances. It's I hope God uses it greatly, and and it's just one of those big celebration. We're kind of a celebratory church already, but 
Easter, like yeah. there's so many visitors, we just not talk. We take it up a notch. Oh, that's awesome. Well, um, I look forward to being up there one of those days. So mm-hmm. thank you so yes. much. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. Uh, let's see. Uh, we'll move on to line number three is Joel in Aurora. Joel, welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Ed. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. I was, uh, feel very blessed for the fact that at work there's a, a guy um, that I feel like I'm getting closer to. He's a Catholic, and he oftentimes talks to a, another friend of mine who I actually used to go to church with. He's a kind of a newer Christian, but he'll often ask, he'll often ask me questions like, what do you think of this and what do you think of that? Today it was, um, you know, does your church offer the, the, uh, the flesh and blood of Jesus? And I said, well, we take the bread in remembrance of Christ and the, you know, we drink the, the, the juice, you know, as a remembrance of the blood. Um, but he also mentioned something about the, he said there was a passage that spoke about why Catholic priests can't have a family, and it's something along the lines of you can, if you if you devote your life to the Lord, then you have to devote your life to the Lord, and, and it, basically he said it was implying that you, you're not allowed to have a family, and I said, well, I know a lot of Catholic or Christian pastors that have families, and God is using them tremendously, and like my pastor, Pastor Ed at Calvary Church, Calvary <laughs> Yes. And his son is an incredible pastor, you know, and, and so he's really increasing the kingdom using him. So I just could ask you about that passage and, and your thoughts on how to, you know, approach this, you know, lovingly and tactfully when I respond to him. Well, I don't know what passage he's using um, in particular. Um, I'd have to look. I, I really am not familiar with what, what the Roman Catholics use to justify. Uh, I do know that they require priests to take a. Uh, an oath of celibacy, okay. and the the Roman Catholic religion requires you you cannot be a priest uh, without committing to never getting married. Same within the nunnery, but I don't okay. know what passage they use. Um, it, he may be referring to First Corinthians, you know, where Paul talks about being single. You can devote yourself wholly to the Lord, uh, okay. but the married person has to con- be concerned. But that that passage has nothing whatsoever to do with ministry or prohibitions. As a matter of fact, one of the things you can show him that's super important, like you know, to get a a consideration of the fullness of the of the teaching of the Bible, is over in First Timothy chapter three. Uh, it says that um, that an elder has to be the husband of one wife. Oh, okay. And and that's an important one. And then f- yeah. from a frame of reference, you know, I'm sure if your friend is a devout Roman Catholic, then he's been taught and he believes that Peter was the first pope. Yeah. And it would be very instructive for you to point out to him that remember Jesus, remember Jesus came into Peter's house and he healed someone. Do you remember who he healed? Peter's wife. Peter's mother-in-law. Mother-in-law, that's right. And that implies, of course, I mean, it doesn't imply, it explicitly teaches that Peter was married. So the the vow of celibacy is a false human. It's it's what Jesus said. It's what he denounced. Uh, let Let me read it to you. 
he denounced this. He says, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Okay. And celibacy is just a commandment of men. It is not a biblical instruction. Is that what you just referred to in the First Peter chapter 3 passage? Uh, actually, so it's First Timothy 3 was the first one I referred to. Um, the teaching doctrines of men is Mark 7, verse 7. Mark 7, verse 7. And then healing Peter's mother-in-law is in... Let's see if I can find it in law. It's in the... Uh, let's see if I can find it. Luke. Uh, yep, it's in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, is, is Peter's mother-in-law being healed. Luke chapter 4, 38. Yep. Seven, verse 7. And First Timothy 3, somewhere in the first five or six verses, it says that an elder, which is a spiritual leader, which is the highest level of leadership in the church of Jesus Christ, an elder, um, is the, to be. And, and it's not an exclusive. Like, you can be single and be an elder, but the, when you're looking for those requirements, sure. he's it, it gives permission, basically, for okay. someone to be married. We got to go. Okay, God bless you, brother. Thank you. Catholic Thursday. All right. All right. Hey, uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. Come out to Calvary. Uh, six o'clock, four and six on Saturday. Six forty-five, eight forty-five, ten forty-five. Call the church three zero three six two eight seventy two hundred. I just looked at our website. We don't have any times on there, so call the church. CalvaryAurora.org for the number. God bless you guys. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.